You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey, Dave, how are you doing today? Not bad, Nick. How are you? Good. It's a Good. beautiful day out here in Michigan. Great time for a podcast. Yeah, it is. Heading into a nice long three-day weekend to wind down summer. and uh, Looking forward to it. That's right. Unfortunately, not so beautiful is the market this uh, last couple of weeks. So we're going right. to take a, take a little bit of a dive into that and talk a little bit about investing in a down market today. This is, uh, I think it, it's, a, it's a topic that's always been something financial planners are talking to clients about. And it's suddenly a lot more salient than it has been since, well, since 12 years ago. There have been other times when there have been, you know, hiccups in the market since the financial crisis. And I've found myself saying to people, well, go back and look at the look at what you made in your 401k on the money you put in during the financial crisis. That's the best return of any funds you've ever invested. And we know it's true. And I think clients on a certain level know it's true, but nobody really wants to believe it. So we went and did a spreadsheet, did an analysis of what happened during the financial crisis if you continue to invest in your 401k. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right, David. It's kind of one of those, we look at 2008 now, obviously with uh, a bit of hindsight where it was, you know, one of the best uh, investing opportunities of our generation. Unfortunately, when you're staring at those things, it's really hard to judge right. them. It's right. much easier to judge them after the fact. Just like, you know, you could talk about, well, I could have bought Apple back in 1990 you know, yeah. or bought Coca-Cola back in the 60s or whatever it is. And it's a lot easier to judge those things now. It's a lot harder right. to judge them when they're happening. So what we did is we... What, what do financial planners do when they need to solve a problem? They build a spreadsheet, right? Spreadsheets. You got it. So with the help of uh, our resident, Ashley, and our intern, Michaela, over the summer, we built a spreadsheet that basically looked at, we, we kept it simple. We said, what if you invested $1,000 a month consistently into we use the Vanguard Total Stock Market Fund, which is just a simple one fund solution that covers the entire U.S. market. We didn't get any fancier than that. Keep it simple. Keep it something that everybody can kind of wrap their heads around. And we said, what if what if you just did that consistently from January of 2007, and we ran it through this last April, April of 22. So the market had, had already, you know, taken a dive from December of 2021. We didn't, have, you know, we, we had to stop it somewhere to, to keep ourselves sane. So it's not exactly up to the minute. But during that time frame, that, that encompasses 184 months. If you had just invested consistently $1,000 a month, your total investment would be 184000 but your total account value would be $511,808. Ah, the beauty of compound interest. Yeah. <laughs> that, that comes to a compounded return of an average of 10.93% mm-hmm. annualized. Pretty cool, right? But 
We also know that that time frame encompassed the financial crisis and the market crash that went along with it. And if you had been doing that, so if, if you start where our chart started in January of 2007, you, you, would have, you would have had a pretty ugly and upsetting ride through the financial crisis. And at one point, so the market pretty much bottomed out in May of 2009. We didn't know that was the bottom, but at that point, you would have invested $29,000, but only had an account value of $23,000. I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong line. You would have invested $27,000 at that point, had an account value of 17980 So you would have lost $9,000 of your money in a little less than a year and a half. Yikes. Let's, yeah. uh, let's unpack that a little bit because, you know, that's one of those gut check moments where you're thinking, all right, did I do the right thing? Yeah. <laughs> Is this worth it or do I need to figure something else out? The thing to keep in mind is every month that $1,000 stays the same that you're putting in, but your share price on the fund went from 101 we, we used a proxy percentage here, but what it would have been the equivalent of $101.86 in January of 2007, but would have dropped almost in half to $54.66 by February of 2009. Wow. Okay, almost in half. So what does that mean for you? You're buying twice as many shares, mm-hmm. almost, right? Your share purchase for January of 2007 would have been the equivalent of 9.82 shares, while your $1,000 that gets invested in February of 09 was 18.29 shares. That's the key to all of this, right? Right. So let's say you just kept doing that consistently, buying those shares, holding your nose, not opening your statements, whatever you had to do to get through it. If you look at the return on that $1,000 in February of that you put in the market in February of 2009 through this last April, the average return on that particular $1,000 would have been 15% a year. It's incredible. While your overall return, if you just kept consistently doing that over the ups and downs of the whole market, was only 10% or close to 11%. Right. Right. So so the point here is that, you know, not to not invest in good times, but definitely invest when the market's ugly, because that's that's the highest return of any slice of this thousand dollars a month investment for 12 Mm -hmm. years. And, you know, there's there's really no other no other way to put it than, wow, you know, (laughs) right. Well, I'm looking through this chart right here. So in uh, 2009, you would have gotten up to about 18 shares, kind of at the the trough Mm -hmm. of how many shares that you could have bought. You fast forward down to today and you're talking about somewhere between two to two and a half shares that you're buying for that same thousand dollars. Right. So just, you know, who wouldn't want to go back and say, hey, can I put some more money in when I'm getting 15 shares as opposed to 20? Right. <laughs> yeah, if we, could, if we could back up and say, hey, I want to buy it March of 2009 prices, 
knowing today that the market has been so strong since then up until, you know, the last few months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we would do that all day long. And it's funny because we all felt even as even as advisors at that point in the financial crisis, it was it was you you felt weak in the knees when you looked at the markets every day and when you read the headlines, right? Like what's what's the next round of bad news? How bad can this get? And and yet the American economy and the stock market is resilient and chugs along. And in retrospect, yeah, we'd as Jim Cramer would say, we'd back up the truck, right? We'd buy as much right. as we could. <laughs> you know, I don't quote Jim Cramer very often, but there we go. You know, another way to illustrate this is if we look at just a chart of that fund during the financial crisis, you know, the market started to fall in, the, in, in October, late October, early November of 2007. And it took until... February of 2012 for your share price on that fund to get back to the levels it was at that fall. Hmm. That's a, you know, that's a pretty wide gap. So if you had just bought that fund in the fall of 2007 and held it until the fall of 2012, you would have just been getting even. But if instead you had done that consistent buying, you know, a thousand dollars a month, you would actually be ahead of where did I put that chart? You would essentially have a profit of $15,180 over that time frame. While the fund would have only, if you had just bought at the peak and held, you would have just been even. That emphasizes the fact of buying these shares as the price is falling gets you that added buying power, that cumulative share number to outpace the recovery when it happens. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's much better to uh, buy on the way down than it is to uh, miss out on that. And so one of the, the coolest right. things that I thought that you guys did as a part of this is the pause that you put in to see yeah. what happens if you don't listen to you know, your financial advisor and you decide to stop making contributions. Right. Yeah. And we, and we get that question all the time right now. We answered it uh, in, in our last podcast as one of the ask me anything questions. And we kind of alluded to this uh, article that was coming out that we're working on. So let's say, let's say you somehow knew the market was taking a turn in the fall of 2007. And you just said, okay, this, this stinks. I'm not putting any more money in. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pause until the market is more stable. And let's say you were also prescient enough to know that March of 2009 was the bottom. And that's going to beg a whole nother question that we'll, we'll, we'll get to here yeah. in a minute. But let, let's say you, you just magically knew that that was the bottom. And so you turned off your contributions during that uh, roughly 18 months and turned them back on at, uh, at the bottom. You would have invested 18000 less, right? Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't have had that negative period where even though you had contributed, you know, those 18,000s, you, you, you would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 12,000 in value. You would, if we fast forward to 2022, that $18,000 contribution difference on those particular shares 
would have accumulated, would have been a difference of $90,625 in your overall portfolio value. Yeah. So by not investing that 18,000, the difference between 18,000 and that value is 72,625 in growth that you missed out on. Which is really incredible, right? You know, the whole, if you think about it this way, so you're, you're in a down market, things are going down, you're worried about losing money, don't want to put money in. What you should be thinking about is the money you're losing by not putting in because right. of what it's going to grow into. And the whole, the whole thing that I think makes this hard for people is when the markets are going down, it feels like they're always going to be going down. Like, why, why would the markets ever recover from this? We're never in. And you go, and we've, we've ridden this horse pretty hard over the last year. But, you know, look at any chart of the market history. And when you look back at these bear markets on that chart, they're little check marks in a long march of rising markets. Right. And, and so just, you know, grit your teeth, hold your nose, throw your statement out the door. And just remember that as ugly as this feels, if you keep investing, it will pay off. It will pay off. Yeah, absolutely. You know, call and yell at your financial advisor if you have to. Just don't yeah. uh, don't right. stop yeah. investing. Don't stop doing what you're doing. Those of us who have been doing this for a while, we're we're ready for those conversations. <laughs> we're used to it. I, you know, get it out of your system. Yeah, <laughs> call us, <laughs> talk to us. But um, you know. But then, but then when we tell you keep investing, it's the best thing you can do, do it. Well, well, you know, we've had conversations on this podcast before, Dave, about how to change. We, well, we did a book review on change for good, right? Some of the principles Mm -hmm. in there, some of the principle principles of psychology, right? Like everybody knows what they need to do to be healthy, right? Got to exercise, you got to eat right. You got to be mindful. You got to drink water, you know, all those basic things. Yet how many people a year die of heart disease because they're not doing those things, right? It's right. easy to sit here and talk about. It is not easy to live through and to be able to do the things that right. you're supposed to do, even when you know it's the right thing to do. Right. For sure. For sure. And uh, we're, we're never going to be able to make that pain aversion go away. You know, I mean, that's, that's just part of human nature. And I guess that's why we welcome those conversations because we know, we know everybody's feeling lousy. There's no way around it. And, you know, we can coach you through it. We can never make the pain go away, but we can help modify the behavior that might come out of that feeling. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, um, well, I, uh, Morgan Housel does a great job of kind of explaining right. it as that's the cost of investing, right? The cost right. is sometimes it's painful. Sometimes right. it hurts. And sometimes even though you know what the right thing is, you still don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, that's the cost of investing. And I think that's a, a great way to sum it up. And yeah. another thing I'll say for us and all the financial planners out there, I promise you it pains us just as much, if not more than you (laughs) to have those losses in client accounts. You know, we are fully concerned, if not more so with how the market's trajecting and what we're doing. But at the same time, being in this business long enough, we also know what the correct action is. Mm -hmm. And more times than not, that's not to take any action. Um, It's to continue doing what you're doing and just figure out a way to get through the tough times. We also would kind of know like what the objections that people are going to be thinking of as they listen to this are. 
And, you know, one that, one that springs to mind right away is, okay, that's all fine and well, but I'm not in the saving mode. I'm in the retirement mode. Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is then, you know, hopefully you're already in a diversified portfolio. You know, the example we used in this, in this study was being hundred percent in stock. So the numbers are, are on the extreme side because of that. But, you know, that's why we preach the, you know, diversification and taking the right amount of risk for your situation. It's not just about being able to ignore the fluctuations and not feel lousy about it. It's also making sure that, yes, you've got enough and safe assets to spend to get you through these times. So that's part of it. The other one, and you brought this up before we went on the air, is that we kind of also are begging the question about market timing. Mm-hmm. We ran the the pause scenario here as though you could perfectly time the market. And we need to, I think that's the next thing we need to illustrate for clients is that there is really no good way to time the market. We, we, we can look back in retrospect and look at that chart and say, well, let's stop the contributions in the fall of 2007 and start them again in 2009. And, and, you know, make it perfect. I'm sorry, March, of, yeah, March of 2009. The other thing we, you know, to take it to the next extreme, we could say, well, what if you moved it all to cash in, you know, October, 2007 and put it all back in, in 2009, your results would be crazy. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, we've got the, the benefit of looking at that and, you know, and saying, okay, here was the top, here was the bottom. Let's, let's play with this. And there's always going to be, folks out there trying to convince you that they can time the market. That's right. the history of Wall Street. There's marketing that they've built around that. And it kind of begs kind of like, what's the, what's the next deep dive we need to take here with the numbers? You know, I'm, I'm planning to put together that as kind of the next study phase here. Yeah, that's interesting because well, a couple thoughts on that, Dave. One is, you know, there's this, you know, this whole rhetoric about you can time the market and, you can time the market. The problem with timing the market is you have to get it wrong 30 times before you get it right once. And then yeah. you're way behind where right. you would have been if you would have just kept doing what you were doing, not messing right. with it, right? Right. Like right. in order to be successful, you have to fail more often than you're successful. And it's not a good investment strategy yeah. for the long term. And that's yeah. been and proven. And, and I'm sure we'll see that in your study. The other thing about market timing is, you know, I feel like we've been having these conversations about how expensive the market is and how it can't keep going up for like the last seven years. Mm -hmm. And then finally, hindsight being what it is, we got to that point where the market went down. And so we could have, you know, the, the problem though is if you would have not invested for the last five, six, seven years, like we're only back to like, where we were a year ago, maybe a little bit lower than that. So it's not like, you know, you would have wasted those four years waiting for this time by trying to time the market. Anybody in on this side of the desk can tell you stories, can tell, tell stories about prospects and folks that we've talked to where we've said, okay, here's what you need to do with this cash or whatever. And They've said, well, no, there's no way I'm going to invest that money right now. Look at what the market's done over the last, you know, six months. Uh, you know, kind of the, the opposite of the conversation we're talking about with pausing, you know, um, contributions. Kind of the flip side is, oh, the market's been really good. Why would I invest now? This is crazy. And 
the market just kept getting, you know, from that, if you want to take that view, you know, I had those conversations in 2014, 2015, 2016. Right. Like, when, <laughs> so when do you get in? You just missed out on, you know, the, the, one of the strongest bull markets in, in market history, when right. do you get in? And it's, and, and that's, that's the other side of this way of thinking, you know, what, what's the answer to that? Well, let's commit to putting a certain amount in every month, regardless, mm-hmm. you Absolutely. know, and, and, and whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, you put that money in every month because then you're not thinking and second guessing yourself. and you know, I like one of the most extreme ones. I think I think of this guy once a week, regardless of what the market does. It comes back to me, who called me, who had liquidated everything in either late two thousand eight or early two thousand nine. So like the worst time, and was calling in twenty sixteen to see if it was finally time to get his money back into the market. Yeah. <laughs> and. I helped him put together a plan. And at the end of, at the end of it all, he said, well, I, I, I think I'm going to wait. And <laughs> I hope he's, I wonder if he's still waiting. You know, I, 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 and I just, I just don't, you know, sometimes there's just no good answer, but it's never going to feel right. It's never going to feel good. Right. Well, it's funny. We chuckle about it, but my clients that took money out in 2008 have never really made back where they were. Right. You know, the, right. The, just did never happen for them. Yeah. For one reason or another, even if they ended up getting back in the market at some time, I'm well, you know, by now they're probably back, but not anywhere near where they could have been. They just held on and kept going. And, and maybe they saved themselves a lot of hand wringing and grief over that time period and, and concern about what was going to happen. But is that really, you know, at what cost? And, and that, you know, brings another thing to mind is like the, you know, the, the products that we've touched on before that transfer that volatility and that risk to an insurance company or, or some other entity, they make you feel better because you're not going to have to see those fluctuations, but that comes at a cost of capping your upside. Well, I'd like to go back to a point here, and maybe this is a whole different episode about the retirees. And you know, one of the things that we always do is stress test our financial plans. And one mm-hmm. of the first stress tests we do is, hey, if there's a market correction, what is that going to mean? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I actually learned from you, one of the sayings, and we'll see if I get this right here, is you know, when we built these portfolios, we didn't we built them knowing that there would be times like this. Right. We built them knowing and anticipating that. We didn't build them thinking the market was just going to go straight up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if, we thought, if we thought that, everybody would be in something like Vanguard Total Market Index, right? Right. And, and we wouldn't worry about diversification and we wouldn't worry about bonds. And, uh, you know, to that point, I had a pretty well-informed and, and, and not a uh, new investor ask me recently, Tell me again why we own bonds. They never do as well as stocks. And, you know, it's it, that's not a hard question to answer when you pull out the chart and show how the, how the volatility differs. But if right. we thought, you know, if we thought that the market was always going to be up, our portfolios would not <laughs> look like they do and they wouldn't do as well in these kind of periods. Right. So they, they would look a lot different. That's for sure. Yeah. And so, right. 
We've talked before about risk tolerance and risk capacity. And, and, and I think what, what you're getting at there, what we we're talking about there is, is risk capacity as much as risk tolerance. And it's kind of our job to look at somebody's financial plan and say, okay, if you need X dollars every month from your portfolio over Y years, this is, how, you know, based on the size of what you have to, to do that from, this is the most risk we can take. Yeah, that that that's really what that's drilling down to is that if 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 all that work has been done ahead of time, it's not based on Dave and Nick's expectations for the market over the next 16 or 18 months or whatever. It's built over the fact that we don't know what's going to happen. That volatility is a given and we just need to be ready for it when it comes. And you know, and when one of the best ways to do that like we talked about is run a stress test on your financial mm-hmm. plan, see how it's going to affect you, look at what your portfolio potential gains and losses are so that you're prepared for those things. So you're mm-hmm. not surprised when you see these big losses because you've gone through and said, okay, based on this portfolio, I know that I could lose X amount of money. And mm-hmm. so when that eventually happens, because it always, you know, there's always going to be losses then you, you all of a sudden like, all right, well, we talked about this. I know this, we knew this was a possibility. We planned on it and it's not going to affect me. Um, and, and hopefully that helps people feel a lot better. We, we love using the financial crisis still, you know, 12, 13, going on 13 years later as worst case that most people have at least some recollection of if they weren't, you know, investing at the time. But you know, we'll, we'll basically show people, this is the model we're, we're proposing for your particular situation. Here's what it's done over its history. Here's what it did from October, 2007, March, 2009. All right. Yeah. So, so, you know, if we go through something like that again, this is what it would look like. And, you know, it's funny though, it's still, doesn't register until it until you start actually seeing that actual red ink on your statement. Talk about it all you want until you experience it. Uh, it's it's kind of a different thing, but you know, the more you can do to prepare yourself, the better off you'll right. be. Yeah, I think uh, you know we can do a more in depth study about market timing, but also talk about uh, like actually do a study with this in reverse, like what happens if you're invested different ways during the financial crisis and need a thousand dollars out of your portfolio. Oh yeah. I like that. Yeah. Sounds like we got some work to do. Yeah. We better, uh, better get that. Get (laughs) get Hire another intern. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So yes. Thank you for Michaela Michaela and and for doing the the grunt work on this. And I wish we'd wrapped it up before she had to uh, head off back to school, but here we are. Absolutely. Michaela, if you're, if you're listening, we got a new project for you next summer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, Dave. Well, this was very informative. I'm looking forward to some of the other stuff we, that you got working for um, the next couple episodes here. And as always to our listeners, if you have questions or want to know more about maybe stress testing your portfolio, give us a call or shoot us an email at info at srbadvisors.com. And we'll, we'll have the charts and the article on the website to go with this. Yeah, be sure to check out the show notes and we'll get all this posted. Great. Dave, have a great holiday weekend, my friend. You too, Nick. Thank you. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. 
You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.